This is the Work Smart Hypnosis Podcast, session number 159, Mohammed Sheikh on Hypnotic Realities. Welcome to the Work Smart Hypnosis Podcast with Jason Lynette, your professional resource for hypnosis training and outstanding business success. Here's your host, Jason Lynette. Let's help you to build a much greater skill set to become more effective, not just as a hypnotist, but also as a person. Hey, it's Jason Lynette here, and welcome back to the program. And this week is an incredible conversation with Mohammed Sheikh out of Toronto. Mohammed and I go back a couple of years now as we first met at the HypnoThoughts Live convention. And inside of this conversation, you're going to hear some quite personal aspects of leaving behind a rather successful career, going out on his own, both in terms of launching his own business outside of the hypnotic profession, as well as launching a business at the same time inside of the hypnotic profession. And Creating that balance, creating that balance of being that skilled practitioner, that business owner, as well as being the father to his family, to be uh, part of his own communities as well. And really putting the heart in the process the way that it ought to be, putting the intention fully on the change and then sharing this conversation. So there's some really great takeaways inside of this, whether it's the skills of the public speaker, the skills of connecting with another person, or really thinking about some of the strategies that you're already using and breaking out of that mindset of either it works or it doesn't work but instead stepping into that mindset of how do we make it work even better. So inside of this conversation too, you're going to hear a great introduction to the whole process referred to as heart math, which check the schedules over at htlive.net as Muhammad is going to be doing a one hour presentation specifically on that process. Also, while you're at it, check out my two websites, Hypnotize with Conviction as well as hypnoticproducts.com. These are my pre and post offerings at HypnoThoughts Live this year, 2018. Hypnotize with Conviction is all about empowering your hypnotic phenomenon and motivating it and linking it to your client's change, eradicating that old issue of, I felt relaxed, but I don't know if I was hypnotized. And then stick around afterwards for Hypnotic Products. Learn more at hypnoticproducts.com which is where it's a two-day intensive business training specifically on building your own passive income machines. Though with that, let's head directly into this conversation. Take some notes on this one. There are some phenomenal takeaways. This is session number 159, Mohammed Sheikh on Hypnotic Realities. So, you know... <laughs> I guess for me, um, I would say that I got into what I do because I've been a Star Wars fan for the longest time, and it really was uh, probably in high school that I got into the book. So I was always looking on how to become a Jedi, Yeah. and when I discovered what NLP is, it seemed to be the closest thing that I could get to actually using the force, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, that was always running in the background for me. But we're talking maybe um, a while ago now. We're talking 2005. I was a member at Toastmasters, the, you know, one of the local chapters here. And the, the president of the, the club, he was trained in NLP. And I asked him all about it. And he told me all of nothing. But I just knew that he was a uh, 
phenomenal communicator. Every time he got in front of the podium, like he just commanded the room. So it was definitely something that he was doing, and I wanted to learn more about that. I then got involved with um, a guy who's based out of Ottawa who ran leadership workshops, you know, master your emotions, uh, having kind of like the wealthy mindset approach. And again, he was delivering these workshops. I found out that he was trained in NLP, but it wasn't actually NLP training, right? So it was always I'm trying to get my hands on it. It wasn't until 2009 now um, that a buddy of mine introduced me to uh, a gentleman who's based out of the Toronto area, lives in Oakville, Ontario, uh, and his name is Hugh Comerford. And I attended his one-day introduction to NLP, um, and, and this was it. This is what exactly what I was looking for because previously I had, you know, I had been exposed to a lot of good trainings which helped me develop myself. But now here was the first opportunity to actually learn the very tools in its raw form. Yes. And then what I do with that, of course, is, you know, um, is what I choose for it. And it came at a very useful time for me because at that time. I was a I was a sales professional in a technology company, and I wasn't to be honest I wasn't really doing too well. And there was a lot of, you know, stuff from my past, you know, limiting beliefs that were coming to place. Um, and NLP helped me navigate that. And now, mind you, when I did my first practitioner training, I it, it was in the form of once a week, an evening a week for twenty months. Mm-hmm. So for in that year and a half, I went from being like lowest, you know, almost being fired at that company to top 10, right? I completely turned around. Um, and yeah, I just kind of always stuck with it. So I started off with, um, you know, getting NLP and, and learning NLP really for myself. But I found that while, of course, it helped me make all these awesome changes in, in my professional life. It actually also made amazing changes in my personal life, how I show up with my wife and our relationship, um, you know, with my parents, with my siblings, with my friends. You know, it just completely allowed me to understand that essentially the line that I love using today even is uh, reality is the stories that we tell ourselves. And sometimes those stories aren't necessarily helpful. Although I'm curious to rewind it back here for a moment that I love the introduction that there you were at Toastmasters and at least first getting, let's say, the flavor, getting at least the taste of what this could possibly uh, become. What was it, if you had to pull something out, though, what would you say it was from that experience being involved with Toastmasters and, you know, maybe give an introduction to that for some people here who might not be familiar with that, of how that perhaps prepared you for this learning along that way? Yeah, so um, you know that's an actually an amazing question. And as you as you were asking that, I did you know come to another revelation consciously, right? Um, so Toastmasters, for those that aren't um, familiar with it, it's an international organization. They literally have chapters across the world. I bet if you go to their website, you'll be able to find at least two or three clubs about 20 minutes from where you live. Um, they've got locations everywhere, right? And it's a non-for-profit organization all around public speaking. Uh, it's really cool to give you different projects once a week, um, and you have a, just a safe place to practice your public speaking skills. Uh, so that's what Toastmasters is, and I was there for about a, a year, won some contests, that sort of stuff. But specifically, what attracted me about him was really his ability to just connect with the entire room. He just he just connected at such a deep level, and 
I, you know, for me, and I'm sure for everyone in that room, we would feel as if he's only talking to us, even though there's, you know, maybe 40 other people in the room as well. Right. And so that, I think, was the thing that I noticed that allowed me like, OK, this this is interesting because he's obviously speaking to 40, 50 individuals, but each one of us feel like we're the only person in the room with him. So that, I think, was the initial thing. Yeah. Yeah. So then bringing that forward to I know you do a number of workshops and presentations. If you had to kind of pull that into a specific NLP context, was there a specific connection from what you had been experiencing to now suddenly discovering, oh, this is how he did it? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, it's a lot of things. There's, um, of course, the, the whole concept of perceptual positions going from, you know, being able to be able to be in first position, stepping into the shoes and the world of second position of the other person in front of you and just seeing the whole um, scene that's unfolding from a perspective of third position, right? There's all of that. But then there's, of course, you know, um, pacing, leading, mm -hmm. rapport building, you know, from facial expressions and eye accessing cues. Like it is kind of all of the individual right, yeah. concepts coming together uh, to give you that result. And I mean, you know, once you do each and every bit consciously and you practice it and then it gets into, you know, that sort of unconscious confidence, that mastery, Right. You know, I find that even with myself now, um, with a lot of practice, I can replicate um, those same sort of results with when I'm running a workshop or when I'm having a conversation is to really understand that I am speaking from my heart. And that's the intention that I have that's running in, I guess, my programming is that I'm speaking from my heart and therefore I'm impacting their heart, whereas some people only speak from their mouths and therefore it only falls um, to the other's ears. What I think is great about this is that, yes, there's a lot of outstanding education within our field, yet to look at how these other experiences began to shape you into the skilled practitioner that you are now. So, you know, oftentimes some of the greatest hypnosis training doesn't come from a hypnosis book. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. It is life experiences, right? And I mean, that's the thing that I'm really... That's really what I push and the message that I'm getting across is that it's not, you know, for me, NLP has always been a tool, even though that's the first thing. And then, you know, I'm sure we'll get into it. But after NLP came my life as a hypnotist, right, and my whole training around that. Uh, but for me, these are always just tools. Um, but ultimately, what I'm really teaching um, is that how to be how to be human and how to have that connection and, and how to know who we are, that self-awareness about ourselves, uh, and how to kind of make it work with the 8 billion other people that are, we're sharing this planet with. Yeah. So what was that connection after that? So you went through the NLP with Hugh. What yeah. was the next step from there? So, um, okay. So I did Hugh's um, practitioner training. Then there was a point in my professional life where I had kind of realized that I was no, even though I was doing really, really well financially, I wasn't happy uh, working for corporate uh, simply because I wanted to do more with my life, kind of do the work really that I'm doing now. Uh, although at the time I didn't really know that is what it would look like. Um, I needed to quit. So I quit, I resigned and I started up my own IT company uh, where I sell technology and I, I actually still run that on the side. Or, well, I guess technically that's my full-time thing, but <laughs> I always feel like it's on the side because I spend more time in this now, right? 
Um, and so when I did that, I had reached out to Hugh and he suggested that I do my master's practitioner, which was, again, an awesome idea because it, while I was going through all of the um, – you know, the inner turmoil and challenges and hurdles of quitting, you know, a comfortable paycheck and corporate life into really just being on your own. Um, it really helped me build that up. I did that with him. And then yeah, let's pause there for a second, because yeah. I love I love that transition of here's something that's working. You know, I've had many students over the years that are looking at, you know, going through hypnosis or NLP training because they're specifically looking for a second career. And they've already got some experience leading up to it, whether they were the client in the chair or have already done training somewhere else and are just looking to refine their skills. Though very often, here's a person who, this one's the editor of a magazine and it's paying extremely well. And the the need, the hunger isn't there to quit that. Though I, I personally lived by the phrase, just because you're good at something, doesn't mean you have to do it the rest of your life. So what was it about that transition that motivated that? What was it about, you know, leaving something that was comfortable and, you know, kind of taking care of perhaps, but then jumping off to, there's two sides of it here. One is the work that you do with hypnosis and NLP, but it's the same transition, whether it's the hypnosis business or it is launching your own IT company, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. And, you know, to give you that answer, the why behind my move was is two simple reasons, you know, at a high level anyways. Um, the first reason uh, was a matter of integrity. Yes. And, and what I mean by that is I, in the work that I was in, I, I realized that ultimately, I mean, while I was good at sales and, you know, uh, what I was really doing is servicing the customer, but I wanted to help people grow. So I had uh, applied for leadership many, many, many times. And my idea of what leadership looks like, I define a leader as someone who actually creates other leaders and who empowers yes. others uh, and allows them to have the knowledge and the skill set. And that didn't really fit in the model of the company that I used to work with. Um, you know, it would have been, uh, you know, and that was it. I would be like, hey, you know, I want to teach the sales reps the inside and outs of the business. I want to teach them how to get full access, give them autonomy, give them, you know, authority and responsibility, right? And that didn't really go well um, in that organization. So I realized, okay, though, I, I don't think I can really stay here because um, this is not what I believe in. So that was definitely the first one. The second one was uh, very personal. Um, it was simply because I looked at my son and he was a year and a half at that time. And uh, I looked at him and I said, how, <laughs> like, how, how are you a year and a half? Like, you were just born. Like, where did that time go? Because in order to be top 10 um, at that company, I was working 60-hour weeks. And I, I missed a good – and I, it was something that I kind of promised to myself that I never – I always wanted to be available. And that comes from, you know, when we first moved here to Canada, uh, we're talking 89 – you know, my father was that classic example of too old and too qualified to land a good job. Mm. So it was either stay in Pakistan and be a senior director at the national airline or be a manager of Red Lobster. Yeah. 
<laughs> right. So the family, you know, the, the dynamics was that, you know, from myself from ages seven to about 13, I basically did not, you know, my father lived in Pakistan and sent money over and he would visit, of course, you know, every chance he gets. But, um, you know, th- that was something that I dealt with. And I didn't want my son to have that same experience. So there was all of that. I was like, okay, so this this just can't be. I want to be there, you know, for all the important things, you know, dropping him off to school, picking him up, being going to all the assemblies, all of that, right? So I realized that. So I had to quit, right? And the other thing, of course, was I knew that there was no way that I would be able to actually make an impact in the lives of others if I was working 60, you know, hours a week. What I love about this is that on one side, uh, perfect timing. I, I mentioned this before we turned on the recording that I'm in the midst of converting my storage room and uh, sort of library area into a video studio. Uh, so I'm amidst a pile of books right now and perfectly on top is Michael Gerber's E-Myth Revisited, uh, yes, where he talks about the theme book, yeah. of working on your business rather than just in your business. And what I love is the dialogue because that's, that's a lot of the same – intention i had is uh here we are recording on uh my son's fifth birthday which um yeah is preschool, happy right? birthday by the way thank you for, thank, thank you for yeah. him he's <laughs> he's busy at preschool right now so we're recording here though again yeah. that that insight that we'd often think let me stick with the being employed position because that's safer and yet here you are able to open up all these opportunities to let's use your theme to be a human uh because you're now running your own show yeah No, absolutely. And, you know, it's interesting. We're having this conversation as well. Synchronicity is wonderful because I just posted something, something that I've been doing for the last couple of months now as I as I I want to post a bit of wisdom, a bit of, you know, um, insight or motivation, whatever you want to call it um, each day. And today's theme was all around that if we make decisions that are driven by fear, by what can go wrong, that's definitely not as powerful as making decisions that are driven by the question, what's possible? Outstanding. Outstanding. Yeah. So from that journey, where was the introduction to hypnosis? Yeah. So, you know, from that journey, got my master's and then Hugh and I, you know, I had expressed some interest in getting into training myself uh, and Hugh definitely saw something in me, right? Uh, he, he's probably one of my biggest fans uh, and we're best friends. In, in fact, Hugh now sends all of his one-on-one coaching clients because he's really moved out of that. He refers them all to me now. But um, he got me training for him. So I trained for Hugh for about two years. I ran his NLP practitioner course. Uh, and it was Hugh that introduced me to Mike Mandel. Yes. Who we all know, Mike Mandel. I know he's a good friend of yours as well. And you've been on his show. He's been on your show. Um, So he introduced me to Mike Mandel back in 2013. um, And that was, you know, I always say that, you know, Hugh taught me all these amazing skill sets on how human behavior works. And Mike unlocked the ability of the unconscious mind for me. Um, and so I've taken I, Mike's, you know, practitioner, the, the, sorry, the level one architecture of hypnosis course. I took his master's training. I've taken his pretty much anything that Mike Mandel has put <laughs> out there, right? I, I've definitely taken it, right? And Mike's been a great mentor and a good friend uh, of mine over the years, uh, more so in the last uh, couple of years as I've been navigating through my own trainings and my own workshops as well. So he introduced me to hypnosis and um, – that's how I ended up at Hypnothoughts, where I met you and I met, 
you know, uh, David Snyder and uh, Carl Smith and um, Melissa Tears and all of these, you know, all these wonderful teachers that I, I'm able to call, um, you know, on whose shoulders that I essentially um, I'm kind of building my my legacy from. What I love to kind of transition into is one of my favorite questions that people would ask of me. And I think it's one that uh, is almost trying to get too much into the jargon or trying to get too much into the perspective of something. And Mm -hmm. I I think the question even doesn't need to have the example of, well, what about the specific issue? But it's that moment where someone is asking, well, would you use hypnosis or would you use NLP for this? Hmm. Okay. What are your thoughts on drawing that line between the two? Because I'll give you my intro, which is that with, you know, the origins of NLP, part of it was tracking Milton Erickson. And I'd say that based on that premise, we could fit all of hypnosis inside of NLP, but not all of NLP inside of hypnosis. And as much as over the years, I'd hear someone say, well, I don't use any NLP with my clients. I'm watching and they're doing a parts therapy process, Correct. which, yeah, yeah we're kind of talking the same language, just calling it different things. Well, yeah, no, for sure. And the, and the lines, you know, and as I've gone, because I mean, I, I've done NLP, I've done hypnosis, I've done tapping, I've done, mm-hmm. you know, quantum touch, I've got involved with Reiki and energy work and all of these many, you know, uh, there's a lady out of Germany who has a modality called wing wave and I've trained with her, right? I've done, you know, Kevin Lay's side tap, right? So there's all of these different modalities and the lines definitely <laughs> are very blurred and there's a lot of overlap. And for me, that's exactly it. It's, it's jargons. And to you know, use Mike's line that words, you know, essentially are just metaphors, right? Um, now, to answer your specific question, I think for me, um, I remember first day in architecture of hypnosis class working with one of the resource students that Mike had, and this is my first day in hypnosis class, right? Uh, she comments that, wow, Muhammad, it's as if you've been doing hypnosis for years, right? Even mm-hmm. though technically it's my first class, right? And, um, you know, that, that kind of stuck with me. And, and, you know, over the, of course, over time, I, I realized that it was because, as you said, you know, really one third of NLP um, in its beginnings initially anyways, uh, was Milton Erickson. So hypnosis is baked into that, right? Um, when I'm working with clients, in a way, it's just I, I don't actually do anything that's formal. Like no one will – if you were to watch me, you'll be able to pick out that, oh, he's just somehow moved into a six-step reframe and that's parts therapy or that's an element induction. But I don't actually do anything formally in my actual one-on-one work. Like I don't offer a hypnosis session. I don't offer a coach uh, – sorry, uh, uh, an NLP session, right? I don't actually do even an induction uh, I just have a conversation and I have – I use all of the things that I've just been trained in and that I've learned as a structure. But what I'm really doing is deeply connected with the individual in front of me and I'm following them. And what comes out is is what comes out. So whether NLP or hypnosis, there I don't have a clear-cut answer to yeah. what it is because for me, sometimes it's just both, <laughs> right? And sometimes it's neither, <laughs> Right. So, yeah, it, it really is. Now we begin to uh, ask the question, well, how do you even define what a hypnosis actually is and what NLP actually is? Right. So, yeah. So someone is in front of you now and they've come to you for a specific change. And what is kind of that user experience? What is it that someone can expect by working directly with you? 
Well, I mean, um, you know, of course, with um, and, and I'm sure with you and all other successful change workers out there, the conversation has already begun from yes. the phone call, <laughs> right? That session. So typically, my first step is to get them on the phone because I want them to understand that um, whatever it is that they have is actually not something that they have, rather than it's something that are, they're doing. So that's my model. I want them to have that empowerment that it is something that they are doing. Therefore, it's something that they can do differently. What I love about that is that, again, from the start, establishing that too often someone falls into the identity of their issue. Yes. As opposed to it's something they're currently going through. Correct. Exactly. And that's really what it is. I'm moving them, you know, again, this is where NLP, I'm moving them from the, you know, logical levels, Robert Dale's logical levels. Yes. I'm moving the issue away from identity and moving it down to behavior, which is much easier to change. Um, so that the other thing that I also want to establish with them is that they understand that, you know, I'm not the guy that is going, like, I'm not giving them a treatment. Right. What I do and how I really frame myself is, you know, in in a way, I'm also a teacher and a trainer. So my job is to teach you everything that you need in order to get rid of the trauma, get rid of the limiting beliefs, get rid of whatever it is that's keeping you stuck and then teaching you new behaviors, new strategies to bring you closer to what it is that you want. And then as long as you employ those new techniques and those strategies into your life, you're going to get what you want really, really quickly. So I want them to really understand um, that it is up to them to have that. And that change has to happen now. And it's got to be them. And it's got to be, um, you know, it's got to be, it's, it's, it's got to happen, right? The other thing that I do is I'll, I often, well, pretty much almost always send them a quick um, short little questionnaire for them to handwrite, and that's, um, I guess, my little crash course in graphology that I've taken with uh, Mike, <laughs> right, coming to play. But really is really to get them already taking control of their own change. And those questions are structured about, you know, what it is that you're hoping to accomplish specifically, what has worked, what hasn't worked. And, you know, something actually, Jason, I got from you is I've added the question, who are you? Because, you know, if I can link meaning and help them understand meaning into, into who they ultimately want to be ideally, that becomes a very powerful motivator to have and want that change. So they get all that to me. We have a session. Now they're sitting in front of me. And I, yeah, it's, I just, to be honest, it's a, it's, it's a lot of intuition. Um, and I'm just following, you know, they kind of tell me what they're going through. Uh, and then I just make a gut call, to be honest, on where I want to take this. If this is something that I'm going to um, kind of lead with the structure of an NLP process, or is this something that I can resolve by using hypnosis and just direct suggestion is what that's needed, right? Or sometimes it's just a conscious conversation, which is, you know, at the same time, a very unconscious conversation about just giving them different strategies, right? It's because I get, I get individuals that are coming to me from for phobias and trauma and, you know, chronic pain at the same time, you know, I'm getting executives and corporate guys who are looking to get promotions, 
right? So it again, it is the person that I'm working with and it's what's needed at that time. Outstanding. What I love about that is the intuitive side of it, which, you know, some people would hear that and be cautious in terms of, oh, but I'm flying without necessarily a net or this pile of scripts here in front of me. Mm-hmm. Though, take note, it's the it's that old 10,000 hours motive of here's everything that's led up to this experience that, you know, to observe it from the outside, we can often pull out, maybe here's a little bit of this technique, here's a flavor of this style of direct suggestion. Though at times, to be in that open space where we're creating the strategy as we're as we're working on it. Yeah, no, 100%. And, you know, like I have my own little uh, Facebook group for the change workers that I work with, right, uh, that I teach and mentor. Um, and, you know, I remember one of the more recent posts, I talked about how I did a session with one of my clients, and it was like a mix of three different processes, just one kind of melded into the other, because that's what needed. That's what um, the client needed. Right, right. Yeah. Which is that beauty of the old complaint of don't you hate when a client comes in and uh, the scripts you've prepared for them are not a fit (laughs) it's like thank you for laughing so you mentioned working with change workers as well which i know you do that in a rather unique way yeah yeah for sure um so this was something that you know again like everything that i do it started really with um friends asking me to to do a workshop to do a training. So this is something I, I got to give credit to um, to two individuals. One is Lisa Carnwith. Um, she's you know um, she's a hypnotist as well. Definitely part of Mark's uh, Mike's tribe. I'm not sure if she's been out to hypno thoughts yet, but um, you know many years ago, about two years ago, she she you know messaged me on Facebook and said, Mohammed, you got to do some NLP trainings for us right? Teach us some of the specific tools. And I I just, you know, I had a lot of things going on, but you know, the, the, the seed was planted. And then the other thing kind of going back to that conversation, I think, is I realized that I was very, you know, um, I, 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 I get that I'm being a little, (laughs) you know, tooting my own horn here, but that's slightly the purpose, slightly the purpose So go for it. (laughs) I noticed that I, I, I was, and I am very, very successful in my change work strategies. And when I would attend, you know, hypnosis classes, the thing that I noticed that was missing was people believed that you could just drop someone into trance and say a bunch of things and then that would create change Mm -hmm. all the time. And, you know, trance is great. But for me, again, again, my model is, again, it's just a tool. It is what you do after or with it, rather. Uh, that actually produces that sort of deep level change that sticks and that one session fix. What's beautiful about what you just said there is that this identification of everything is a tool that, you know, to even work with the client that you've been inside of my stuff before. So the metaphor of the hammer, you can't try to return the hammer to a store and say it doesn't work, that the hammer is only as good as you put it into use. And this reframing of our strategies to break out of this, it worked or it didn't work mindset, as opposed to how do we make this work even better together? Yeah, no. And, and that's exactly it. Because ultimately, it is it is the human that's in front of you, that is, has a has a complex mixed bags of, of variables. And you know, one of the things that I say that I don't actually ever really give advice per se. And that's because there is no way that I could know 
everything that is going on with you. Even if you, the client, were to fully articulate every single point, there's so much that you don't even know consciously of what's happening that I still will never understand um, you know, the full picture. So again, I, I must follow what, you know, you as opposed to following the tool. Um, so, so there was that. So I realized that there definitely was a gap. And I did understand that a lot of my basics, like it comes back to, you know, the original karate kid, you know, wax on, wax off, right? So you got to start somewhere. And I, and, I, and I really realized that for me, that somewhere was the NLP processes. Um, even though in my change work sessions today, I'm not following them, you know, A to Z. I'm not following that recipe. It's just, again, a structure. It's a loose structure. I really wanted to communicate and teach that. And so now fast forward to, I guess, last year, um, the other individual I want to really thank is, is, is another lady by the name of Lee Aiken. Uh, and again, right? Uh, you know, Lee, perfect. Yeah. So, you know, she was really, she made it happen. She would it literally message me, call me, text me, email me. Mohammed, when's the course? When's the course? What do you need? Have you booked a venue? You know, have awesome. you started bringing the content? <laughs> so, yeah, she was over. And honestly, like, you know, I, I thank her because, um, you know, she, she, she made it happen really for me, right? Uh, so I ran that first workshop and, you know, what I, uh, what I basically did to answer the specific question is I, I took the main tools and techniques that I often find myself using from an NLP, uh, you know, processes set, right, toolkit, so to speak, and I layered that over four days worth of training. So it was two weekends, Saturday, Sunday, Saturday, Sunday, and it was open to the, the prereq was you had to be a change worker in any capacity. So I had, you know, about a half a dozen hypnotists there. I had three doctors there. I had some social workers there. I had a lady that is involved with child mental health. Uh, so, you know, I had um, uh, an occupational uh, therapist there. I had a guy who does a very unique form of um, Middle Eastern based um cupping like chinese cupping but it's middle eastern based instead it's called hijama uh so you know a lot of people kind of you know doing change work in different modalities i I wanted them in the room and then i taught them you know specific um nlp processes at the same time teaching them that it's not really about the process like use this as the structure but you have to always be following the person that's in front of you Right. Uh, And it was cool because even in my demos, they saw how when I'm working with an individual, I would pivot and just, you know, change. So they were able to actually see that live as well. How you go from starting off sometimes with, you know, the traditional dock on the bay and then turning that into, you know, an age regression. (laughs) What's cool about that is. And I say this in full positivity that there's many people who would be looking at courses. um, Let let me just use my language, the paper chaser, that they're looking for that extra document. And I do meet people who are in a similar boat to where you were, which was that – and you see what I did there, boat from the dock of the bay, continuing the metaphor. (laughs) So to look at – I know. Yeah, to look at the experience that, well, I'm not certified to be an instructor with that organization or this other group. That there does come that time to realize here is a specific skill set that I have. Here's a specific thing that call it out and own it. Here's something that I do extremely well. And to offer that because clearly, and it's not just Lee, uh, it's the people out there who are seeing the value that there is a strength in just becoming better at what they do. 
even yeah. if even if perhaps there's specific techniques that you would go, I already know that. I already know how to do that. But to look at here's someone who is getting a much better result with it and to finesse that training where it's sometimes just that little bit of a nuance, that little bit of a stream of consciousness comfort that you express there that's going to help someone take themselves from good to great there. Yeah, no, and and that's exactly it. And you're absolutely right. The number of emails and, you know, private messages that I get asking, am I going to get a certificate out of this? Mm -hmm. Right. And that's their primary motivator. And I say, you know what, I'll print you a certificate. Why not? (laughs) Right. I mean, I do give a certificate. Right. But, you know, like understand that you're coming here for the value of the learnings. And ultimately, you know, to remember, you know, this is and now, you know, I'm borrowing uh, Carl Smith's line. And I love saying this myself now is my job is not to hypnotize anyone. My job is to dehypnotize you. Right. Because we are living in a world where, unfortunately, there are so many individuals and organizations that are just using this language and these techniques to tell us what we should want. Right. And sometimes we as hypnotists kind of fall victim to it ourselves. We're like, oh, we need to, you know, this is going to give us this certification. This is going to give us that certification. And only then uh, I will have arrived. The problem is that the individuals who do think like that, they spend their entire life chasing papers and getting certifications, but doing actually very little in terms of actually, you know, helping humanity and making, you know, doing actual change work. I mean, myself, it's really interesting. Uh, I'm not by any means a certified NLP trainer per se. I haven't trained with Bandler. I'm not paying his licensing fees, right? I've had an excellent NLP trainer myself and I've trained for him, but I don't own um, a trainer certification. Yet that hasn't necessarily stopped me in giving um, value to the individuals who wish to get value from me. Now, of course, my integrity is 100% in check. I'm not out there necessarily licensing practitioners either, Right. But case in point, it shouldn't let you know, that shouldn't be the thing that prevents anyone from doing good work. What I also want to highlight here is that here you are somebody who has gone through the appropriate steps of training. And what I think people will really notice here is something that I'm I'm loving the whole way through is giving credit where it's due. Oh, a hundred, a hundred percent. Yeah, that is, uh, again, going back to, I think, you know, we've, we've touched on this, um, that integrity bit. I mean, that's my identity. That is who I am. That is what drives me, motivates me. And that's something that I'll never, never compromise. And yeah, 100 percent. I will give every bit of credit. Um, like even on my manuals at the bottom and on the front page, like I say, you know, everything that is in here is really the content and the learnings from so-and-so, right? Absolutely. So there's an interesting aspect, though, in terms of how you run many of your workshops. Tell us about that. Oh, I'm curious what you mean by that, because what I might find interesting, maybe you're talking about something else. Okay. The, The format of what's the driving force behind it? Ah, yes. Okay. Um, so for this, um, yeah, this, this is actually, you know, 
came from a very organic conversation once with someone inquiring about what's the difference between your NLP training, Mohammed, and all the other NLP trainings that exist, right? Because we have guys, I mean, you can go to, um, what's that website, Udemy, and, you know, get an NLP certification for 50 bucks, right? Um, so what's the difference? And I said, you know, with, there's definitely trainings and the trainers, right? Um, and there's a lot of good trainers. Their job is to teach you NLP inside and out. Yes. Whereas for me, and if you become a better human being, as a result, they're happy for you. But for me, my main motivator in doing what I do is I'm actually looking to build better humans. And I use NLP as a as a medium to accomplish that. And so even the conversations that we have in class, we're talking about self-awareness, we're talking about contribution to others, we're talking about personal relationships more than we're talking about, hey, how do I sell more credit cards, Mohammed? <laughs> <laughs> right? So that's really the primary thing. And you know that's the flavor in which I deliver the NLP training. So I'm still teaching you in NLP inside and out. Like, you know, for me, it is, I, I do closely follow John Grinder's knowledge is only rumor until it's in the muscle, so there's plenty of hands-on practice, yes. and you're getting all of the, you know, the presuppositions, sensory equity, you know, eye accessing cues, anchoring, you know, all the processes, six-step reframe, timeline, self-mentor, you know, the whole shebang here. But it is being delivered in the flavor of how do I actually use this to become a better human being, and the, the understanding that I am sharing this planet with another eight billion people. I love it. And, you know, for further than, you know, the other point is I, I really do feel, um, yeah, I, I guess I've had the benefit of living here and moving here. So I was, I was four when we left Pakistan. Uh, and I actually lived in New York for three years, uh, Queens. And then moving here to uh, Toronto um, when I was seven. But we would often go back and forth between here and Pakistan. So I know what it's like to take a bath um, and having to boil a pot of water because we don't get hot running water in certain places, right? I mean, now, mind you, it's very, very different. <laughs> uh, but in the beginning, you know, there were some like, you know, like, for example, my, my grandmother's place, like that is what life was like there. Now, we lived in Karachi, which is the equivalent to Toronto or, you know, like the one of the main cities. So it wasn't like that growing up for me. But when we would visit, like I have that exposure. And I know that here living in this side of the world, there is so much that we just take for granted and our problems really are first world problems that it almost becomes a necessity. Like with everything that we've been given, we really should be using certain uh, amounts of our capacity to make the world a better place. It kind of is the right that we have. I mean, that's what I believe anyways. Which with that as the driver, it's where, I mean, to, to mirror a similar mentality and, and a lot of the marketing that I've done over the years, if it's a, I'm attending a networking group, if I'm giving a presentation, if I'm there at a convention, the mindset of I need to leave better, I le need to leave people better off whether they work with me or not. Yes. And the, the nice result of that is, of course, I use the phrase, it's extremely intentional, yet, quote, by accident, that fills my schedule. Yeah. 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 No, that's beautiful. I love it. I love it. So I know there's something else that you work with that also you do some trainings on that I'm quite honestly curious about, too, uh, heart math. 
Yeah, yeah. So I am, uh, I believe there's a dozen of us in Canada anyways, a lot more definitely in the States. But then again, a, you know, a single state is the size of Canada, right? So <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, a HeartMath Institute, uh, for those that don't know, haven't come across it, HeartMath is an organization that for the last 30 years, they've been doing a lot of um, clinical research and evidence-based research, which is, you know, um, not that, you know, for me, obviously, hey, I'm a hypnotist and an NLP guy that does Reiki on the side, right? So, um, you know, evidence-based is um, not a primary motivator for me, but it's cool to get doctors in the room and to get corporate clients, right? But uh, they've been doing, their mission has been doing a lot of study and research on the energetics of the heart. And from this research, they've been able to identify that emotions have a direct impact on our internal physiology right down to the hormonal level. And they give a, a, a metaphor of that we all have an inner battery. And, you know, throughout the day, we are doing things and things are being done to us and we're around things that deplete our inner battery. So what are we doing that renews our inner battery, just like we charge our cell phone at night so it doesn't die? What are we doing to kind of recharge ourselves? And, you know, from their findings, they've, again, discovered that these emotions that we feel, they either have a depleting effect on us or a renewing effect. So when we feel an emotion such as sadness or depression or anger or frustration, nervousness, what that does is that's a depleting emotion. So it depletes our inner battery. And at the same time, it causes 1,400 biochemical reactions. The main hormone that our, our body produces is uh, cortisol, which is a stress hormone and has a half-life of 12 hours. So it's doing a lot of damage for a long period of time. And they've been able to kind of show that, uh, again, through their research. Yet emotions such as gratitude, right? And, you know, it's really cool for me because, again, intuitively we know this and, uh, you know, we see it everywhere. Be grateful, you know, gratitude journals, you know, show appreciation, right? But they've been able to prove that just this emotion is probably one of the strongest emotions um, that elicit another 1,400 biochemical reactions, which the main hormone that is released by our body is DHEA, which is a vitality hormone. And what that does is it causes synchronicity and harmony between, you know, the autonomic nervous system. So our sympathetic and our parasympathetic system, that essentially, you know, becomes coherent between, you know, that function, which, which is also very important because, you know, the autonomic nervous system is essentially connected to 90% of all of our bodily functions, like our immune, our digestion, our ability to even think. Um, so all of that research and what they've done is they've created techniques and tools, which kind of goes to that moniker that I like using um, so much now. I wonder if I can one day have it trademarked, is but having solution-based conversations um, that they're actually teaching techniques and tools, which allows you to, within seconds, enjoy the benefits of having uh, renewing emotions and becoming coherent and building resilience. Exactly. From the user experience, what does that kind of look like? What is like an example of one of the strategies that would come out of that? Yeah. So an example of one of the strategies, and this is something that... Uh, um, 
Yeah, I'm just going. They're very finicky about their IP. So it's like, what can I share? Or, you know, this is the podcast is the internet, right? Versus what can I share in the context of a course setting, right? But the quick coherence technique, and I'm sure you have show notes, so I'll send you the link because that's something that they actually have uh, on, published on their website. But the quick coherence technique is drawing attention to something that they call heart-focused breathing. And that's slowing down your breathing almost if as long as it's comfortable, five in, five out, and imagining that your breath is coming in and out of your heart or your chest area. And then as you breathe like that, moving into making a genuine attempt to access a renewing emotion such as love or care for someone or something. And so if we spend some time, just five minutes a day, practicing this simple technique, right, they measure using a heart rate variability monitor, which is the medical gold standard for measuring the amount of uh, internal coherence or internal physiological stress that we have, um, you'll see a shift in real time within seconds. The rhythm changes and it becomes more what we call coherent. And so if you practice this daily, you know, for a month, our baseline changes to be more resilient, to be more uh, coherent. We essentially have a new normal. So that's an example. Which is beautiful because clearly whether we're labeling it or just uh, placing the label on ourselves, there's something already hypnotic about imagining that breathing, moving it directly into those areas and noticing that benefit from it and kind of back to you know, these are the tools we're putting into use, giving the client something they can take with them as part of the process. Yes. Which I love because it's my, my, uh, my sort of USP for, uh, working with my clients is that I'm only ever teaching you quote self hypnosis techniques. You can do anytime, anywhere, and nobody knows you're doing something. Yeah. Which I I learned something similar to that from Melissa tears many years ago. And that's one that I've shared for years. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that's exactly it. Heart math is absolutely wonderful. And, and, you know, to be completely transparent and candid with you, it, it made a huge, huge difference um, in my life personally because, uh, well, let me share a quick little story with you. November 2015 started off as a normal day, but in the evening I started having a headache. And that headache grew like, it really, really grew. I haven't ever had a headache this strong. We check uh, my blood pressure and it's something crazy like 190 over 140. Basically, I remember that the lower number is what the higher number is supposed oh, wow. to be, right? And I started vomiting. They rushed me to the hospital. My brother drove me, uh, you know, to spare you the details, but, you know, I, I wasn't doing too well. And once I got to the hospital, you know, uh, the wonderful Canadian healthcare system at work, they decided to plug me into every single machine that they own and inject me with dyes and put me in scanners to figure out what was happening to me. Um, and they, everything came out clear. There was, there was nothing wrong with me physically. And so when they sent the results to my family doctor and I'm, you know, sitting with him a few days later, he looks at me and says, Mohammed, um, you've got too much stress in your life. And I laugh and I say, uh, doc, uh, did I ever tell you what I do for a living? (laughs) (laughs) My job is to help people with stress. I, I, I don't have stress in my life. And what I then began to learn was that stress comes in very different and very, um, you know, different in many flavors. 
for me, I only understood stress as emotional stress, as uh, being upset or being depressed. That that was that was essentially what I understood stress to be. But then I realized that my stress was because I was you know, doing a million things, you know, I have, I'm running my IT company, I'm doing the workshops, I'm doing the coaching. At that time, I volunteered at three different other non-for-profit organizations. And on top of that, I was hanging out with friends who only like to leave the house at midnight, right? <laughs> Mind you, now my bedtime is 10 p.m., right? And oh, I'm right there with you. Bed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right, uh, early to rise, right? So that's I, I call that laming out at 10 p.m., but sure, we're going to call it bedtime. Cool, yeah. I turn into a pumpkin. It's great, right? So, <laughs> um, so I began, uh, you know, kind of to understand, you know, I lost about 30, 40 pounds uh, in the process as well, realizing that, well, that, hey, that was contributing to, uh, um, the str- uh, to, to my ability to keep up. And then what heart math and that training and the reason why I took it is because what I was able to understand about that was I've been spending all this time around the mind. Right. I mean, hey, I'm coach the mind. I'm a mind mechanic. Right. But this was definitely something that I felt I was missing because I wasn't accounting for the emotions that come into play. And I wasn't accounting for the fact um, of that I need to be resilient in order to do everything because I wasn't about to slow down. So I needed better strategies to be more resilient. And so I could take on more challenge and more work. Um, and that's what HeartMath really allowed me to have is to give me strategies to, one, be aware and eliminate those things that are draining me emotionally because it really is the emotional domain uh, um, in which we have the biggest leak of our internal battery. So even something like, what am I watching on TV? You know, sometimes I'm watching a movie that I'm like, I don't actually feel good. And now I realize that it's not just feeling good, but it's actually having a physiological impact in my body at a hormonal level, right? So what am I doing here? Even with my friends, I said to them, look, I love you all. You guys are great people, but I can't do this anymore, right? Um, If you want to meet, hook me up, you know, hook up with me for 8 a.m. breakfast, right? (laughs) Uh, And I actually got better relationships out of that because I was able, the ones who started hanging out with me at 8 a.m., okay, now now I know, right? (laughs) I generally find the uh, choice of social behaviors at 8 a.m. is uh, much more positive than the 10 p.m. or midnight ones. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> more productive. And, that, and then it goes back to that, too, is like when I'm having conversations with individuals, am I actually being renewed? Because if we're just hanging out and just shooting the shit and really having no purpose, I found myself actually being depleted. It was draining, right? Whereas if I'm with friends who are on a similar um, goal of making the world a better place, even though we're still shooting shit and just having a good time, um, it is around that context and just being in their space, I am um, I'm being renewed. And so to kind of further um, and get, tell you the other really, really cool, fascinating things about heart math, because the training that I do is all around resiliency uh, and building that resiliency and building that coherence of our internal physiology, we also then begin to get into how the heart is actually the main organ and how when we receive information, the heart realizes before the brain does and how intuition lives in the heart and how we can access or have greater access rather to our intuition by practicing these coherence techniques. 
getting moving into how we are energetically um, communicating with one another and it is our heart, which is just mind-blowing and fascinating. And at the same time, you kind of realize this intuitively as well, that they could, that our emotions actually have a measurable digital signature, you know, that they can measure the frequency. And uh, anger and frustration actually looks very, very different um, than the graph of appreciation and love. They did a really cool experiment where they had, you know, different sets of four individuals, and the, the game was this. Basically, they put all four people into a room uh, with computers to do a task. And three of them were in on it. And they were given a secret signal. And when given a secret signal, the three of them practiced one of the heart math techniques to shift them into a more coherent state. The fourth person who knew nothing of this, who was innocent, uh, was just, you know, doing his work. Now, what they found from the results consistently is that when the three people in the room were given the secret signal and they shifted into the coherent um, state by, again, using one of the heart math techniques, the fourth person also shifted with them. And they were all wearing heart rate variability monitors. That's how they were measuring and tracking the results, right? But that's it. You know, you're in the space of someone that's coherent. Um, you know, others will follow you. It's kind of how it works. And going to even your point that you made about you want every interaction to be positive. You want the people to benefit from you, whether they, you know, buy from you or they don't buy from you. You're still out there. That's what you're holding in your heart. And that's what you're communicating. And that's why you're attracting all these awesome people into your life, Jason. <laughs> I love it. So speaking of attracting, where can people track down you? Okay, so definitely, uh, I'm more active on my Facebook page, facebook.com slash coach the mind. My website is www dot coach the mind dot ca and if you go there you'll find all of my events and all the workshops that i have coming up um and again you know i offer a lot of free content as well for you know the the main motivator is to make the world a better place uh if you're going to hypno thoughts i would love to have you i'm going to be speaking actually about heart math and how we as hypnotists can really use it to one be more resilient for ourselves, but also teach that to our clients so that after they're done the session, they now have a technique and a tool to practice resiliency uh, by themselves going forward. So I'll be speaking at HypnoThoughts. But yeah, that's it. CoachTheMind.ca, uh, Facebook.com slash CoachTheMind. Jason Lynette here once again, and as always, thank you so much for interacting with this program, for leaving your reviews online, sharing it in your social media streams, and once again, head over to both hypnotizewithconviction.com as well as hypnoticproducts.com. These are my two pre- and post-offerings at HypnoThoughts Live 2018. Before the convention, sharpen your skills to create magical moments in the hypnotic process, and then stick around afterwards to let your business work for you inside of hypnotic products, where you're going to learn how to launch your own passive income machines. See you in Vegas. Thanks for listening to the Work Smart Hypnosis Podcast at WorkSmartHypnosis.com. 